Hello, you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you regular news, reviews and interviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Later, Zoe Bowes will be talking again to art historian Wendy Fossen, this time about how female painters are finally receiving the recognition they deserve at the Rijksmuseum. Over the past two and a half decades, Amsterdam-based American comedian Greg Shapiro has become a familiar figure on the Dutch comedy circuit, and many other circuits besides. His third book, The American Netherlander, 25 Years of Expat Tales, was written during the months of Corona lockdown, when all live performance venues were closed. Greg has been reading extracts from the book exclusively for Arts Talk Radio, and he starts, rather cleverly, with an introduction and chapter one. Netherlands in 1994 to take a job for just one summer. 25 years later, yeah, I'm still here. So, fair warning, the Dutch can be addictive. Now, I suppose I am the classic definition of an expat, because I grew up in one country, I moved to another country, and then I stopped. I came to the Netherlands thinking, oh, nice country. Shame about the language, but I stayed anyway. I came for work, I stayed for love, and, when I have to, I speak the language called Dunglish. Now, I happen to live in Amsterdam, and a lot of this book takes place there. But, hey, I've spent time in all corners of the Netherlands, from Den Bosch to Den Helder, from Limburg to Leeuwarden, from Scheveningen to Schiermonnik Oog. And I love it all, except for Terneuzen, sorry too close to Belgium. The fact is, there are 12 provinces in the Netherlands, and 10 don't have Holland in the title. This gets pointed out within 1.5 seconds when you perform a show in, say, Eindhoven. Hello, Holland! Quickly results in, ja, hallo, this is Brabant. I even had trouble when I performed in Friesland. I said, Friesland, my favorite province. And someone yelled, this is not a province. This is an occupied territory. So let that be a lesson to everyone. Don't mess with Friesland. When I got here to the Netherlands, the country couldn't quite make up its mind what to call itself. Interestingly, neither could I. Growing up, my name was Greg Shore. Shore was my stepfather's name. But it was the Dutch who would interrogate me about my authentic name. Oh yeah, sure, but what is your birth name? Shapiro? Well then that is your name. Now, I grew up in America, thinking that Shapiro sounded too ethnic, specifically Jewish. But Dutch people I encountered universally replied, Shapiro, cool name. What better way to say welcome 
And my name was not the only thing that would change. When I came to the Netherlands, the country marketing said, visit Holland. The logo of the tourism board was a tulip saying, welcome to Holland. And the in-flight KLM magazine was called the Holland Herald. So it's no wonder that maybe most people fail to realize the name of the country is, in fact, the Netherlands. Maybe it's just too long, too clunky, not great for marketing. But then came a little viral video called The Netherlands Second Video, which turned out to be pretty good advertising for the country's true name. And soon after that came the Netherlands winning the Eurovision Song Contest. And now, for the first time in at least 25 years, the Dutch government is ditching the term Holland from all official correspondence and rebranding as the Netherlands. <laughs> and since I did the voice for that one video, I guess, in part, I can say, you're welcome. Okay, now that was the intro. Here comes Chapter 1, Amsterdam, Day 1. The date was the 4th of April, 1994. The question was, would I be willing to give up my acting career in Manhattan to come do my comedy in Amsterdam just for the summer? Now, since I was living on tips in Manhattan and paying rent with a credit card, the answer was an immediate yes. When new Amsterdam is too expensive, there's always old Amsterdam. Now, my idea of Amsterdam was the one shared by most Americans, I suppose. Yes, Rembrandt and Van Gogh and Frank, and then sex and drugs and downhill from there, right? In America, if we hear about the Netherlands at all, it's the Dutch people are all drug-doing, drug-dealing, baby-killing, grandpa-murdering, left-handed pedophiles. And once I got here, I realized it's not true. According to Dutch people, uh, yeah, that is Belgium. I remember getting off the plane at Schiphol Airport and thinking there must have been a mistake. It was such a modern, sleek, well-designed airport, and the baggage carts were actually larger, ha, larger than their American counterparts. Not to mention, the baggage carts were free of charge. I had seriously misjudged the Netherlands. The signs were in English, the ads were for, like, Samsonite, and the first thing I saw out of customs was a Burger King. I thought I was in Pittsburgh. And the charm offensive continued. Instead of having to surrender my baggage cart, I was able to take the thing right down to the train platform. That was my first time on a walkway escalator, and the handbrake on my baggage cart actually worked. Within one hour, I had already started to redefine my definition of second world country. That term was now reserved for JFK International in New York City. Before leaving Schiphol Airport, I took care of my to-do list of now anachronistic technology. I went to a place called the GWK Currency Exchange to trade my U.S. dollars into Dutch Guilders, abbreviated with FL, because of course, this was a currency that no longer exists. And even at the time, it seemed pretty whimsical and antiquated. One of the coins that they gave me said two and a half? From back in the days when I guess people counted on two and a half fingers. 
I also bought a public transport pass called a strip card since access to Dutch trams somehow involved stripping. The alternative was Riding Black, which to me sounded like a stripper name. And lastly, I procured a phone card for making phone calls at these things called public phone booths. These triangular glass enclosures that were also known as phone boxes or in Dutch, pissoirs. Culture shock. From the modern Schiphol airport, I then took the train into Amsterdam Central Station, and there it was, the rundown former glory I'd been expecting. Stepping out of the train, I quickly realized the smoking section was everywhere. The smell of cannabis was not limited to the coffee shops. And instead of ferry boats on the water side of Central Station in Amsterdam, there was a veritable junky wasteland. Today, on the waterside, there are dedicated bike lanes, harborside cafes. Then there was just a busy road, urine-soaked concrete, and a waterfront no-man's land. Locals deemed it too dangerous even to buy a junkie bike. In the train pulling into Amsterdam Central Station, you could look down and see prostitutes performing live sex shows, junkies shooting up, it was an urban garden of earthly delights, the Amsterdam version of Hieronymus from Den Bosch. Bosch. After exiting the station, on the Centrum side, and dodging a team of hotel hawkers, remember those? I was face to face with the Damrak. Now, the Damrak, circa 1994, was just a messy barrage of tacky signs for tourist trap shops, made worse by barricades from complicated street construction. So basically nothing has changed there. Now outside Central Station, I remember my first impression was the bikes. I had never seen so many bicycles at one time in one place. It seemed like there were more bikes than people. And that was 100% accurate. It still is. We don't know how the bicycles are repopulating. Government officials are constantly trying to thin the herd. But there it is. There are more bikes than people. Now, my second impression was not just the bikes. It was the people riding the bikes. They were so tall. I'd spent most of my life being the tallest one around. And now, maybe I could feel more at home. And specifically, I was noticing the women riding the bikes. Now, was it me, or were they all showing a lot of leg? I didn't realize it at the time, but the date was the 4th of April, and it was the first really warm day of the year. An occasion which is now known unofficially as Rokjesdag, or Short Skirt Day. The day that Dutch women collectively look in their closets and decide, yes, it's warm enough, I'm going with the short skirt. For me, it was like a parade of Dutch legs saying, welcome, welcome to Amsterdam. I mean, how could I not stay? That was Greg Shapiro, reading from his book, The American Netherlander. 
25 Years of Expat Tales, which is published by Expat Media and is available from hollandbooks.nl and all the usual outlets priced at 19.99. The complete audiobook is also available at storytel.nl. Greg will be reading more excerpts from his book in future Arts Talk Radio programmes. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Artstalkmagazine.nl Zoe Bowser has been talking to art historian Wendy Fossen about the lack of appreciation and knowledge of female artists, in particular those in the collection of the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Zoe started by asking Wendy why she thought female artists received so little praise or acknowledgement. Um, it's it's very difficult to summarize this because it's such a, a big story. Basically, our conclusion was that um, about half of the art history has been written now and that the other half is still, I wouldn't say a blank page because there are many, many of my colleagues already uh, for, for years um, who have been trying very, very hard to put the, the women artists on uh, the web. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's it's a strange thing that that happens, that you that there that that there's a need for special attention because today we don't realize that it's only such a short time ago that women weren't allowed to do anything uh, in public life so uh, for us it is something of a surprise but when you come to think of it uh, and you start realizing and and more focusing on when you walk through a museum whether you see a female artist that you all of a sudden wonder where are they Uh, and then you might assume that they haven't been there, but they have. But they've been wiped under the carpet, basically. <laughs> right, yes. I mean, I think and this is where, as you said, this, this brings us to art history, which, as you said, started to come into its own as a subject uh, in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And indeed, those people who set up art history as an academic discipline were men. Yep. And so, unfortunately, this bias was transferred uh which which is fascinating because you also told me that in the in the sort of the commercial world of say the 17th century um art world there were women painters and they their works were bought uh, yeah. and sold and, and people wanted to pay they yeah. were willing to pay money for them yeah a lot of money in some cases as well and that's um, because it, one of the one of the reasons why, why we're having this conversation of course is that the Reich Museum is um, uh, placing these three female painters uh, in the spotlights by hanging their works in the Gallery of Honours, which is like, you know, the, the apogee, of course, is the, the, the night watch. Uh, but you have these little side chapels, as I always call them, uh, where you have now these uh, a place for three female artists, um, being Judith Leister, Rachel Ruysch and Gesina Terborg. Uh, but there's, there are so many more artists in the collection of the Rijksmuseum that needed to be um, need to be taken out of the depots because the the whole 
setup of the Reich Museum is basically designed by by men because it's you know the collection is formed by men in previous history of mm. course uh, and in their own days these men will have collected female painters because every now and then there is a female painter that that or artist that has become very famous for instance in the late 19th century um we have Therese Schwarze, uh, a Dutch uh, female painter who was extremely popular. Uh, she worked for the royal family and she de de demanded, <laughs> you could say that, um, large prices, large sums of money for her paintings and they were willingly, to, willingly uh, uh, paying them. Um, and um, she has, she's the only female portraitist in the Netherlands that found her way to the Uffizi um, uh, portrait gallery. No. So that's, you know, she must have been an extraordinary no, she, painter. Well, she, as you say, um, the exception perhaps rather yeah. than the rule. But uh, then we also discussed this notion that, you know, people say, oh, well, perhaps there just weren't that many good female painters, uh, which, which we've all heard Rubbish. that one before. <laughs> but I think what's perhaps interesting for people to know, and I didn't know this, is that it's, as well, as we know, it's not that simple. No. So you explained that as a woman, uh, in, in, for much of, of Western history, you were not able to train no. as an artist. So even no. if you wanted to, there was a big hurdle there. Definitely, yeah. Um, can, can you tell us more about because that was also fascinating to Yeah, me. well, to begin with, um, you were lucky if you were born in an artistic family and you were artistic yourself, probably it's in the genes as well, so that's the obvious one. Uh, and then you could be trained by your father and you could be trained um, uh, privately, but even then the fathers were rather reluctant to teach their daughters um, uh, to paint or to draw after the human body because that was something that was quite inappropriate mm -hmm. and then you see that these women well, once they become painters usually are forced not you know conscience consciously uh, but you know they 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 are they stuck they are stuck in, within, in, within the genres. domestic Yes. A circle so okay. also with these genres mm. so you would see like um, uh, still life flower still life of course is, is the obvious one mm. or, or embroidery or you have like phenomenally good um, um, paper cutters wow. that's also <laughs> a form of art you know it's more applied art but you know if you have nothing else to do you're incredibly wealthy and you sit behind the geraniums as we call that today well if you have a talent then you want to uh, express yourself, express yourself yes, and absolutely. you want to show what you do and, and it's it's also a, uh, to pass the time because otherwise life could be terribly boring if you have to take care of the household if that's the only thing that you have to do and you have to point and, and direct your your servants to you know doing the laundry and 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 scrubbing the floors and and you yourself are just sitting there and you're not allowed to do anything so the thing is that you were lucky when you were born into a family of of artists um it is it was extremely difficult if you weren't and then you needed to have a really good talent and you still needed to have the backup of, backup of your parents that, that they allowed you to go to study with somebody um, 
and become a master painter. And for, for Judith Leister, for instance, in the 17th century, that was extraordinary because she didn't come from an artistic family, but nonetheless, her parents saw her talent and she was allowed to train with a, a, um, a professional painter. Uh, and she became a um, genre painter, which means that she painted like merry companies, like um, 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 children, but also you know, grown-ups in a merry scene. And you can compare her work to the work of, of Frans Hals. Uh, for a long time, her work was also mistaken for work by Frans Hals. And as I explained to you, as soon as collectors find out that it is only a Judith Leister, then the price drops immediately at least 50%. I would kill to have a work by Judith Leister because they're far more rare than the works by Franz Hals. Well, so I mean, we can hope, Wendy, that, that given a bit of time and a bit more publicity, indeed these, these paintings will become real collector's items. Oh, yeah, but... Their value... Like Judith Leister, yeah, Judith Leister and 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 um, uh, Rachel Ruysch, for instance, uh, to talk about the Dutch uh, painters, but you know, talk about Artemisia Gentileschi, the the Italian painter of the the, the early 17th century. She's extremely famous. I mean, there there've been books written about her, films made about her life. She had a, a terrible or you know ordeal being raped by yes. one of her uh, teachers, but you know, nonetheless, her paintings are very powerful. Powerful, um, but she's now become famous. But there's so many more Italian painters, especially in the Renaissance and mm. Baroque. I mean, that was also the heyday for the arts over there. Mm. We have incredibly good paint, female painters in the late 18th century and, and the early 19th century in France, in England. Mary Beale, have you ever heard of her? I have. But you I, have. Okay. But, well, then it's, it's fine. I imagine she's you know, she's certainly not as well known as as, as Artemisia Yeah, and also that, as without question, some female absolutely. artists have now gained so much fame uh, because there's a big Artemisia uh, exhibition in London. Just yes. been during Corona, I haven't been able to go there, unfortunately. But you know, so those paintings, you, they're exorbitant prices. So there's right. no way that you can pay them anymore. Also for museum collections to okay. amass them but we have to look at all that is in the deep house because as i said these female painters were or artists in general were famous in their own days as you already said some of these flower still lives they were extremely expensive mm. i mean did you if you wanted to buy a flower still life by rachel Rausch in those days you would have to you know get your, your wallet out because otherwise you wouldn't get uh, you know it, it was extremely expensive so therefore um, in those days they were appreciated but somewhere in the 19th century it went wrong well art history they got written out of art they were history, out of art history. and yeah. now hopefully they're slowly being welcomed back in yeah. but this is a gradual process exactly of i mean and we see this now with the rakes museum of course which i would imagine is going to be influential yeah but you also told me that even here in the hague um there is hope uh, that they will give a little bit more publicity or a little bit more acknowledgement to some of the the local painters here yeah well um, it's i work for the for the kunst museum as you know and um of course I, I know a bit about the collection and uh also you know my knowledge about art history and also my my uh, interest in female art history um and it's 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 
never the idea of any of my colleagues to replace them, but we have to fill in that blank page, as Absolutely. we said, you know, half of the book is empty, so we have to fill that. Uh, and we have to give these women their rightful place. And um, since art history as a, as a discipline, as you said, is so seen from a male perspective, it is sometimes very difficult also for museums to take that next step because they're so stuck in this like um, uh, straight jacket <laughs> exactly of you know we yes. have to focus on Mondrian but Mondrian was influenced by a number of artists also female artists like Jacoba van Heemskerk and she was extremely well received in her day so we're talking about you know the 1910s 1920s um, and she developed also towards an abstract style. She was famous before Mondrian was. She was accepted in, in German galleries where you had like the big names already of Kandinsky and Franz Marc and other expressionists and abstract painters um, and she was there she was she was there were big bugs involved when she um, uh, sold her art mm. but so, somehow she well she's nowhere near as famous as, uh, as Mondrian, Mondrian. No, we've all heard of Mondrian we've yeah. not heard of Jacoba yeah so we, we do hope that over time uh, these women get more attention and mm. the, the funny thing is that sometimes you you don't understand how that works because we have now the exhibition on bear on the museum and um, there is this one cabinet in the exhibition which is dedicated to the female painters that were exhibited in the right. museum when it opened so there was a opening exhibition where they were also had the female painters so where did it go wrong you wonder you know why haven't we haven't this we been able to through yeah mm. To continue well, this it is idea, a mystery all, all of its own. Yeah, well, it's it's you know, you, of course, you have the problem of generating money. So you want to have blockbusters. Mm. You want to get money in mm. for the museum, so you can organize other things. Of course, you need to of have course, money that to generate other things. So I, I know how it works. I understand how it works, but I I do hope that you know, with this, this, this turning tide as is, um, the museums will focus, or will, I wouldn't say focus, but give this podium also to the female artists and not only of the contemporary female artists, because even though they are still underpaid compared to the male artists, you know, that's the discussion that we have today, but at least they are seen and you can express yourself as a woman today it is much, much easier mm, of course. in relation to those days. It's still difficult, but in, in comparison to, to you know, the old days, it's much more, much easier. Okay. Well, here's hoping that we, uh, you know, we get to see the discovery of uh, a variety of female blockbusters, as you put it. Yeah. Because I'm sure there are some hidden there in, in the archives. They just need to see the light of day. Yeah. And they need to be, you know... <laughs> We need to fill that book. Absolutely. Wendy Fossen from Casa dell'Arte, thank you so much for joining us on Arts Talk Radio today. That was a buzz talking to Wendy Fossen. Arts Talk Radio Online. So that's all for this week, but please join us for the next edition of Arts Talk Radio. If you have any comments, we'd be pleased to hear from you. And if you click on the subscribe button, you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest programmes.
My name is Michael Hasted, and so for the moment, it's goodbye. Thank you.